for April 20th, 2009. It's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 42, What Art Ain't. It's the Overthinking It podcast, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. I am your host, Matthew Rather, and I am joined tonight by the usual panel of overthinkers who will introduce themselves to you either in song or by answering our question of the week. This week it is, why did you not see Crank 2? This weekend, uh, a box office performance of six and a half million, which I mean, Belinky and I are split on whether that's good. I would like to make six and a half million dollars for anything I do, even if it costs more than that, you know, but uh, but uh, he says it's embarrassing. We'll duke it out later on the show. But in the meantime, Matthew Belinky, why did you not see Crank 2? <laughs> I'm going to use as my excuse. I'm waiting to to rewatch Crank One, and I'm not. And no, I'm not actually being wry. I actually have in my possession a a copy of Crank One that I rented from Blockbuster uh, after I read John's article about Crank One, which reminded me I was a huge fan of the first Crank, and I think the reason why is because I was very disappointed by Snakes on a Plane. <laughs> and and no no literally like I was I was yeah. ready for sort of like campy B movie fun and snakes on a plane and it didn't work out and I feel like Crank I'd have to double check this but I feel like it was like within a few months of snakes on a plane and all this sort of like cheesy you know sh- you know shamelessly B movie uh, love that I, I had, had it with this lack of motherfucking adrenaline in my motherfucking <laughs> bloodstream. <laughs> <laughs> and so I feel like I, I just uh, displaced all the love I was prepared to give to Snakes on a Plane to Crank. And so that like before I go to see Crank 2, I want to see Crank 1 again. So when I have the chance... Were there a lot of... Gonna, I mean, is, is there a complex mythology that you need to refresh yourself on? I mean, there's a certain iconography. There's an. I mean, there's interesting... Crank does like a lot of... Um, I, I, like gimmicky uh, shots and special effects that are um, I, I would I would use the word uh, playful um, to describe. There's like uh, there's like one one scene where like uh, Jason. I'm just gonna call him Jason because his name is too stupid to actually say out loud in the movie. What I is believe it? It's no, like, no, say it it's out loud. It's something like Chevichelios. Yeah, that's correct. Okay. <laughs> um. And then, and then it, it, he, he's like at one point talking to somebody and very sarcastically says, it's like, what, do I look like I have the C word on my forehead? But he doesn't say the C word. He says this, the, the C word. And then there is like, I believe, a sound effect and the, the C word is superimposed on his forehead just for that one shot. And I don't, there's no logical reason why. I guess it's like the movie is commenting on the fact that like, yes, he does like look just as foolish as like he thinks that he doesn't look. But I don't know. I think that's just, the movie just does things like that. And that's part of its charm. All um, right. I, I, I want to reimmerse myself in that sort of like visual world before I get into Crank 2, which I, which I believe is also like has a certain Looney Tunes, like live action cartoon aesthetic to it. Just like based on things I read online, Mr. Peter Fenzel, why oh, hey, did Matt, you not see <laughs> Crank Two? So, so wait, so I have an option of doing this in song and say giving you a response in song rather but than. But you can the actually; question. it doesn't have to be a response to this question. If you want to sing, you can really say whatever you want. Okay, how about this? <clears throat> <laughs> Jason Statham, I didn't see your movie, and perhaps it made my life dark. But the only theater showing it is right next to Fenway Park. (laughs) I I desire to see your two-hour electrification. That won't make me swim upstream through half of Red Sox Nation. (laughs) Seriously, wow. the crowds on there are crazy. You, crazy. Have been, you have been doing some improv comedy this weekend, haven't you? <laughs> a fair amount. Fair You've enough. been doing the game where you make up the song and stuff. <laughs> and now you're all getting to play. Mark, you're next. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> That's great. Yeah. So it's a whole entertainment complex there by Fenway, huh? Yeah. A lot of people who maybe live in New York, live in Philadelphia, some other major cities, you might be used to your sports stadiums being kind of outside of the town, either in the outskirts or in a part of town that's kind of industrial. Because it makes sense. The land's cheaper. It's easier to get, uh, you know, per- but Fenway Park's so old that it's right in the middle of the sort of slightly to the west center of gravity of the city. And it's got all these like clubs and restaurants and bars and the whole all of Kenmore Square, the big Sitco sign. Um, and, and after a game and before a game, it is just teeming with people. So actually, it's not that I wasn't going to go to Fenway Park. Uh, because, oh, I'm going to go see Crank 2. Oh, I can't. It's Fenway Park. It was, hey, let's go see a movie tonight. Let's not go to Fenway Park. So we didn't even look at the movies that were listed there. And the only movies uh, showing at the other theaters that I want to see um, that I noticed was uh, State of Play with Russell Crowe and, and ben- Benjamin, Benjamin Affleck. So right. I saw that instead. Yep. Uh, you know, Matt, uh, Blinky and I went to... Um Went to Fenway, didn't we? When after after the Sox historic World Series victory, yeah, we did. I'm a, I'm a Red Sox fan. I grew up in uh, in Hartford, Connecticut, and so that like it's sort of right on the Mason Dixon line between Red Sox Nation and the sort of Yankees. And to a lesser extent, if you wanted to be really iconoclastic, you could root for the Mets. There was like a small corner of Mets coverage in the Hartford Current, and so <laughs> that like I had to make a choice when I like came of age. And I chose the Red Sox, uh, and so that like I got to celebrate. As uh, as did your father before you, and his father before him. No, no, it was the, it was a big uh, teenage rebellion thing. My dad is a diehard Yankees fan. Oh, right. Um, oh, because he was a New Yorker. He at least lived in New York for a long time. Yeah, a little bit. Um, so yeah, he's actually in mourning today because the Yankees apparently uh, got shellacked yesterday, twenty-two to four. Oh no. That's that's a large. For those of you who don't know anything about baseball, that's more of a, a football <laughs> score. <laughs> I don't know how you'd get that score in football. Well, I guess you could do it in football. Yeah, it yeah, you know, it'd it's be just, like two safeties. And, well, they have two point conversions now, so it'd actually be very easy. You right. Just get two touchdowns and a third touchdown with the two point conversion. Or was that not the point? Is no, this no, like no, a no. It's the four. <laughs> it's the four. Oh, twenty four. Be... I thought it was twenty two to four. It's twenty. Oh, get the four. Yeah, two safeties. Yeah. Yeah, that's what, I guess that's what it would have to be. Are there scores that are impossible in football? I guess it would be impossible to get a score of one in football. Uh, I guess. Can you run back an extra point attempt for a single point? I'm going to look that up on Google. <laughs> <laughs> While you do that, we will go to Mark Lee. Mark, why didn't you see Crank this weekend? Because I don't love America, apparently. Um <laughs> No, he's here's the reason. American. Why. He's not an American guy. <laughs> he's not an American. Okay, the reason why is because I have a girlfriend, and my girlfriend listens to this, and I love her dearly. And I'm not blaming her or somehow insinuating that she's taking away from my enjoyment of this movie, which I really didn't want to see. Particularly, <laughs> I didn't have a strong desire to see it. But let's just say, for the sake of the argument, that you know, that I maybe had a, a somewhat of a desire to see this movie. Um, the reason why, just say. Uh, just okay, say sure. on account okay, of sure. on account of you have a Y chromosome. <laughs> sure, on account of I have a, I have a Y chromosome. Wait, is that me or is that is that the female thing? No, that's no, that's uh, <laughs> that's you. You have a Y that chromosome. Is, I have a Y chromosome. Okay, cool. I have a Y chromosome. Therefore, I, I would have wanted to see uh, Crank Two. Now, look at the movies that are coming up in May: Wolverine, Star Trek, Terminator. Um, these there goes are, Mark these are, on the Terminator thing again. He loves yeah, the no, these are These are serious. Like, <laughs> Almost guy. as much as he loves the nation of Korea. Uh, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> Good one. Um, no, these are like serious guy, you know, fanboy testosterone summer movies coming up. You don't think Crank has any testosterone in it? No, it does. I'm saying that's, that's, that's <laughs> another one of these. So what I'm saying is that because I have to expend a lot of capital, movie capital in May, which uh, in this capital spending includes either a dragging my girlfriend to see a movie she doesn't want to see, one of these testosterone fanboy movies, or b leaving her behind to go see it with my guy friends. So that's capital that I have to spend in May, and I'm not going to spend it in April on Crank Two. I'm saving up my capital. That's all I'm saying. All right. Well, Chev Chelios didn't save anything for in the original Crank, and he still got to make Crank Two. No, it's so. Um, isn't it like? Uh, isn't it not? testosterone it's adrenaline that's yeah that's, the, that's uh, technically true yeah so it's oh, entirely possible that his, test, his, his testicles stop working and he actually has no testosterone in his body but it's not explored in length what other hormones are affected by his medical condition yeah 
Yeah, they don't talk about his like pituitary gland in great detail. I think it's yeah, Mark. I think your strategy is smart. Your strategy of uh, you know of banking goodwill. Yeah, as, exactly. As George W. Bush did in the two thousand four uh, election, and when he said, you know, what I did in two thousand four was I, I accumulated political capital. Except I'm sure he didn't say yeah. accumulated, and now I'm going to spend it, which is why he reformed Social Security. But he didn't reform Social Security. Oh, wait. <laughs> oh, no! <laughs> Maybe there was political capital inflation between... Yeah. <laughs> Matt, Mark, I have one counter-proposal for you, or just one thing to consider. Consider oh. that right now, this is the bottom of the market for taking to like going to see an action movie whereas in the summer it's going to be the top of the market for going to see an action movie and crank 2 seems to me like in some way it ought to be less expensive now i'm sure the ticket's going to be the same price but in some way it's got to be less expensive than these other movies maybe it'll just be playing on cable all the time later i don't know wouldn't you say though that because the proportion of films is higher of the proportion of action films is higher in the summer uh that is as a percentage of all movies in release uh you're more likely to go to an action movie and so it's actually more expensive to go see crank now because there are other kinds of options i guess there's a demand if you look at the demand curve um and mark you you probably could graph this um because that's uh, what I do. Thinking style. Yeah, exactly. Because you've made all the crafts that we've done in doing. Yeah. You do more um, than that. I think, Mark, I, my favorite thing that you have done on the site was the Marty McFly uh, alternative oh, guitar yeah. history so video. So good. So good. That was very good. But yeah. <laughs> I do have and a precedent to, to do quantitative Right. Now, that so. is that anyway. is to say, and if you didn't know what this was, if you're listening to the podcast and you haven't, go back, go back to Back to the Future Week. Uh, I mean, you probably that's a good think, one. Back yeah, to Back that was, to the That was a good... Uh, yeah. That was a good theme week on the site. Yeah, fire up your internet DeLorean and go back in time <laughs> to when we post articles. Like Zach Efron. Do we want to open up that can of worms well, Not only does Zach Efron own a DeLorean, but apparently enough people are searching for it that when I typed Zach Efron Dell into the search box, Google's search suggest popped out <laughs> Zach Efron DeLorean <laughs> as the first... Uh, as the first search result. But anyway. Uh, to be fair, what else would it be, though? Zach Efron, Deli Sandwich? Or, you know, mean, what else, what know. Be, you know, what, what else could that be? Maybe you know? the man. Della Reese, Della Reese and Zach Efron hanging out together? Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah, uh, yeah. So what Mark did was he, uh, he took uh, what turns out to be a false assumption from uh, the first Back to the F- Future movie that what Chuck Berry hears is the, um, uh, is the shredding. The Inspiration sort of- for... Yeah, okay, go on. As though that were Chuck Berry. Uh, in fact, you know, and Mark proved this convincingly, he, um, what Chuck Berry hears is the pretty much straight-ahead kind of blues rock stuff, right? And so, uh, you know, so rock and roll is safe. But had he heard all that shredding, what would the future of rock and roll had been like? <laughs> I mean, to specify, I, 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 I showed how what Chuck Berry actually did hear was the shredding. And that oh, he ignored yeah, that, yeah. And, ah. that he and just went on into you know Johnny Be Good, so that you know Marty McFly did not invent Johnny Be Good or John did not invent rock and roll. And so what my video was was what would the future of rock and roll had been like if Chuck Berry had taken to the shredding part, the really Sonic Youth esque guitar noise collage. That well, yeah, that that I showed the Jonas Brothers as. In an alternate <laughs> 2006. Yeah. <laughs> right. If I only lived in that universe. And I mean, just for the record, I've never really liked that, that Chuck Berry scene in Back to the Future. I mean, I like it from it's a fun scene and like it's a good it's it's a good sort of breaking the tension moment before the sort of final action sequence where they go out to the street. But like from a time travel perspective, it violates the rules that the series sets out about how time travel works. Oh, let's not get started about breaking. I know, time I'm sorry. <laughs> Back, to, the Back to the Future is like it's like a oh, black hole from which no conversation can escape. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that, that Not even if it's going travel, 88 so. miles an hour with 1.21 gigawatts. So oh, many gigawatts. Man. So many gigawatts. That's probably why we haven't done too many more theme weeks, is that we got sucked into the gravity well of the Back to the Future theme week. Yes. Although I loved Karate Kid week. That was fun. Um, you know, if you, you, know, you know what? 
If you'd like an annual Back to the Future reading. (laughs) (laughs) It is an inexhaustible source. I was thinking of Bill and Ted's as the next theme week, though it's too much like Back to the Future theme week, I guess. Should we just do only do time travel movie theme week? <laughs> I think like, we should like we do time cop week, and then we can do time bandits week, and then we can do um, sliding doors week. Well, no, that's more of a metaphysical Although, reality. I mean, if we were doing a Bill and Ted theme week, I would write about Bogus Journey. Yeah, oh, totally. Me too. Me too. Yeah. Right. Then we can just have Divine Comedy Week. Yeah, no, a Bogus Journey is really the Finnegan's Wake to Excellent Adventures Ulysses. Uh, oh, correct <laughs> and awesome. Yeah. That's- <laughs> <laughs> uh, By the way, th- has everyone here seen the trailer for the Dante's Inferno video game? Oh, that no. we talked about a couple weeks ago, or but back? it's a great it's a great trailer where they actually like quote the first uh, the first stanza of the Inferno. It's fantastic. You'd love it, Fenzel. Oh, excellent, excellent. The first uh-huh. tercet. Wait. Yes, so, I'm so, sorry. Right. How does, does Tercerima the- work? Does anyone remember? It's A B A B C B C D C, so that the middle verse uh, rhymes with uh, the middle verse of any one stanza rhymes with the first verse of the next stanza. A B A C B C D C. A B A B C B C B C D C D E D, and so on. Which, when the effect's completely lost in basically any translation that we would use. Unless it's, unless it's a translation into verse, but that sounds yeah. hard. Yeah. Right. I mean, I think, I think I saw one once in a library, but basically, you know, most people reading the Inferno in translation would never realize that it was a rhyming poem. Yeah, if you read a translation that just translates it it's kind of into free verse. Wait, are other epic poems, do they, does like the Iliad rhyme? No rhyme, no, rhyme didn't exist in those languages in quite the same way that it does in our language. Yeah. There's, a, there's a different... I mean, the Iliad, the Odyssey, uh, and the Latin poem, uh, and the Iliad. the Iliad, yeah, is based... The Latin poem. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go uh, to the mat for that, man. <laughs> this reminds me a lot of when I tried to translate There Once Was a Man from Nantucket into um, <laughs> Latin. It didn't really work. Into so, Latin? They had their their first system. Their metric system was based on val quantity, which is a uh, just kind of an obscure uh, attribute that vowels have in these dead languages that is more or less lost in English. Uh, so it was, um, you know, it, they're written in uh, God. What is it called? Dactylic hexameter, and. Uh, yeah, and so it's this it's this very rhythmical thing, but it doesn't rhyme in the traditional English way, in the way that Germanic languages and Romance languages can rhyme. Mm-hmm. You know, rather, I exhausted all of my making fun of you for being pretentious with your knowledge of poetry material last week, so I'm not going to do that this week. Just want to put that up. <laughs> Why is that? You know what? I want to. I want to. I want to just challenge you. I want to push back a little here. <laughs> push back. Please. Oh God, that's another word that should be banned from the language. I commented yes. on the open thread this week that the words monetize, uh, jump the shark, and webisode, and I'm going to add webinar. To that as well. Really, any of the web neologisms should all be banned from the language, and I'm going to add pushback to that. Also, hey, the, hey, fr- also the phrase Matt, going Matt, forward. Matt, it is what it is, Matt. It is what it is. <laughs> 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 yeah, going forward, you go you away got, too. Yeah, you, you, Pete, you called me out for using that one once, and you were right to do so, because it's, <laughs> a, it's a stupid phrase. It's a tautology, um, man. It's a tautology. What am I going to do with tautology? It's they what, got nothing. It's right, exactly, uh, and I think what it means. I think the force of that tautology is that. Um, uh, oh, remind me to to say something funny about tautologies later. Is like, well, it sucks, but you know, we're not going to cancel our plans. Yeah, right. Isn't that what it is? What it is means. Yeah, uh, yeah. It mean it means uh, we're not going to change what we're, we're not going to do anything about it. Is really what it means. Right. So, exactly. Yeah, yeah like, we're not going yeah. to. Yeah, we're not either going to remedy or you know. Uh, alter our course. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. My favorite phrase phrase about that is, I'm just saying. (laughs) Because it's always true by definition. 
you know, because no one ever writes. I'm just saying, or if I, if they did, it would be a very interesting, uh, speech writing hybrid, you know, it's a, <laughs> but it's just, I'm just saying, of course you are saying there, you know, there are words coming out of your mouth viz the words I'm just saying. Anyway, Mark, I'm going to push back a little here uh, push away. <laughs> and, and say that it's not pretentious if you're not pretending anything. <laughs> uh. no, wait, that, that, those two words are completely unrelated. No, no, they're well they're really it. not unrelated. Okay, okay, wait. How is it? How is pretension? Uh, so, so, okay, explain. Pretentious is, is you know, having pretense, right? Uh, pretense being like an appearance or a claim of undeserved. Uh, something that's undeserved or unearned, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They both they both come right. from the Latin word pretensa, right? Or was it pretensus, meaning pretend? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's see. What do I got here? I'm looking at etymonline.com, which I wholeheartedly recommend. www.etymonline.com. This guy put together an etymology dictionary. So you're, so you're saying that, like, if The Wired is, in fact, the greatest single work of fiction that the human race has ever produced, it's not pretentious to say so. Well, it's pretentious to say so if you do it in order to achieve some sort of personal status or personal, like, gravitas as a critic, which you do not deserve. Um, that's the pretend. That's right, the pretension. Right, exactly. If Harold yeah. Bloom, if Harold Bloom were to say that, uh, though I don't know, maybe he's a bad example because there yeah, are a Harold, lot of people. Harold Bloom is very <laughs> pretentious. There are a lot of people. Ivy League, well, Ivy League universities, Ivy League education is pretentious. Did Harold Bloom yeah. not write a book that was called something like you know, like fairy tales for like exceptionally smart children? <laughs> yes, yes, he did. What's your point? Isn't that the most pretentious <laughs> book title ever? <laughs> no. What is it pretending to? That he that he knows how to raise children? I don't know. <laughs> I no, I shouldn't yeah. say these things. Well, I mean, the, no, I mean, my my uh, my quibble that that Harold Bloom may be pretentious is that not everyone considers him as great a critic as he considers himself. But you know, I sat in class with the man for two years, and let me tell you, he knows large swaths of English literature by heart, yeah. like a non-negligible percentage well, okay. of. Of and every- Yiddish literature. <laughs> yeah, right. His first language. Anyway. Well, here's so, the, here's the key takeaway. For another word you want to take away, here's the key takeaway. Pretension and arrogance are not the same thing. Um, and people say that someone is pretentious when they really mean that that person is arrogant. Right? No, I, I, I do that. I do yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. But it's so, a special yeah. case. I mean, the way pretentious is misused, it's like a special case of arrogant, right? It's like yeah. uh, almost like well, smart pointless. Arrogant. Well, yes, sure. Arrogant. Uh, intellectually arrogant, but also kind of pointlessly arrogant mm-hmm. as well, because, you know, pretense, the idea is that, like, the idea of pretense is like that and, uh, you know, that and 325 will buy you a grande latte. Right, right, right. And I know you've bought a lot of those because you love the Starbucks. Uh, I, so, I, do, know, I do like the Starbucks. This is not a value judgment. I love coffee. I've actually quit coffee, as I mentioned on the podcast before, and it has been tough. But uh, I, you know. I wish I could quit coffee. <laughs> <laughs> so, Rob, let me explain a little Wait, bit are you here. Are that you have sex with coffee? <laughs> uh, I do. It does make me pee a lot. I don't know. Uh, never mind. But, but let me sugar. have one last thing to say about, about, about my ribbing on you for the poetry knowledge and then we can get back to you know actually overthinking pop culture which is what we purport which is what we purport to do and yeah. that's one of your that's right um <laughs> is that basically what i'm doing is only half kiddingly um poking fun at the level of intellectualism um if that if that's a word even that particularly you rather bring to the table I guess so. Words, yeah, it's true. Words, like, why can't people just enjoy poetry? Why do they always <laughs> have to go around analyzing it yeah. and analyzing and even it? Even more than that, I think there's, there is, I'm not kind of psychoanalyzing myself here at this point, is that I do feel a little bit of insecurity often um, in the company of folks like you who are way more well-read in the classics and whatnot uh, than I am. Um, you guys have been all over the Ulysses and the Dante. I've never touched that. I mean, you, I don't can can them. Can you, just, you don't have to read them. No, yeah, no, you don't have to read them, Mark. You don't have to read them. You really don't. <laughs> Honest, honestly. I never even take the time to like, figure out what they're really about. Yeah. The, it's never, the, like, they're about Irish them. people, right? They're like about <laughs> Irish kids. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, <laughs> and knowing the Irish, they're unhappy about something. I imagine that it's a lot like Snatch. 
<laughs> in several in several respects. Wait, Joyce oh, yeah. is basically the guy Richie of his day. <laughs> <laughs> Are you laughing because I'm right? I'm laughing because you're not wrong. <laughs> and then so wait, you didn't marry Madonna, didn't you? No, dude, point? it's all it's all here's a challenge for you. <laughs> yeah, Mark, here's the thing, it's all bullshit anyway. Right? Yeah. Like, in the sense that, like, and I mean that not to degrade it, you know? It's it, the study of, like, English literature is the study of bullshit. Uh, mainly bullshit used to try and get girls to sleep with you. Right? Because that is the, you know, single greatest subject of poetry ever. And, uh, you know. Only that- because of the sexism inherent in, in, uh, in poetical circles on the high level. Otherwise, it would be non specific as to who they would want to be sleeping with. There, there are poems about pretty much everybody. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, it's true. I mean, fair, fair enough. But, yeah. like, you know, when I say bullshit, I mean, you know, I mean the primal bullshit that is bullshitted around the campfire after the day's hunt. You know, when is it, the community. Primal bullshit, the actual feces of bulls? <laughs> No, I think it's the next Michael Bay movie. Primal <laughs> <laughs> bullshit. Yeah, oh isn't that the, isn't I that the subtitle? I would still be there on opening day for the IMAX screening. <laughs> isn't that the subtitle of Transformers 2? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Well, here, Mark, instead of reading all of these things, just watch Finding Forrester, which pretty much encapsulates this entire conversation. You're the man it. now, dog. Arch the keys. Why do people have readings for their work? Right. To get laid. It's great to hear Sean Connery. You all actually see it? Finding, Finding Forrester? Yeah, I saw it. I saw it in a back-to-back showing with Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. It was great. It was the better of the two, if you ask me. I love that movie. Them is fighting words. But oh, there's I will a, fight you. Oh, there's I will, a, fight, I will fight you in slow motion on treetops. <laughs> <laughs> I'll fight you with Sean Connery drunk in the top floor of an apartment. <laughs> That's a think tank that we should do. We should all we should all propose the ultimate double feature and uh, and do that as a think tank. I remember when Matt and I, Matt and I once were looking for movies to watch, and we went to the Blockbuster, and mostly at Matt's suggestion, we rented The Hudsucker Proxy and Starship Troopers. And the video... Two great movies. I stand by that. Yeah, no, two fantastic movies and a fantastic evening, as it turned out, of videos. Uh, but the video store guy looked at us and was like, wow, you guys are hardcore. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we felt really proud that, like, the video store guy, who, you know, is almost as much of a nerd savant as comic book guy, right? Like, you right. know, who gave yeah. us our propers. Well, here's our one for you. Randall. <laughs> Steel Magnolias and Iron Eagle, back to back. Oh, I wish, I wish Jordan Stokes was on this podcast. There was a brief period of time where uh, Jordan Stokes uh, worked at a Borders, and yeah. they had a promotion where every uh, they were it was like buy two get one for free uh, DVDs, and all the employees as part of the promotion got to make like their own box set of three movies and like put them on display together as like examples of how you could put together any three movies. Um, and and I remember him putting a lot of thought into like the various trilogies he could create and like you know what he would be saying through each one. And I won't I won't give away what he what he um what he actually chose, but because I feel like he should be allowed to tell that story himself and also because I don't quite remember. Mm-hmm. Um but it did. I think. I think the trilogy is interesting because then you could be like, you know, like The Godfather, The Godfather Part Two, and like Weekend at Bernie's because Weekend at Bernie's is awesome. <laughs> well, you know, you know what I got. You know what I got for uh, for for Jordan's um, bachelor party present, his sort of post bachelor party brunch present for him and, and his fiance Tomomi was I got them uh, Gandhi, Lawrence of Arabia, um, The Grapes of Wrath, and The Chronicles of Riddick. <laughs> uh, so just trying to loop it all together. Did you not so. get? You know, Pitch Black and... Uh, no, I got them Riddick, the trilogy. So it was actually two trilogies. But I was hoping maybe they would pair them up and they wouldn't just cordon them off in their separate separate ways. So the Chronicles of Riddick trilogy is Pitch Black, the Chronicles of Riddick, and then uh, um, the... The, um, the, f- the animated one, right? Yeah, the animated... The, the like, Animatrix version of Riddick that they made. Went back when people thought the Animatrix was something you could do for every movie. So speaking just- of James Joyce and of Sean Connery... Uh, together. Second half of that sentence. I um, I was when uh when I was in Travesties at Longworth Theater in New Haven, and this was a play that starred uh, Sam Waterston, 
and I spent a lot of time backstage saying Sam's lines while he was on stage, uh, but in a Sean Connery voice. And this was a game that, that we would play, several of us who were in the show. Uh, and we came to the conclusion that really everything is better when you say it um, in a Sean Connery voice. And if you'll, uh, if you'll forgive me, my Sean Connery impersonation is not very good. But, you know, I'd like to favor you with a couple, uh, with a couple of examples here. As Gregor Shamsha awoke one morning from uneasy dreams, he found himself transformed in his bed into a monstrous vermin. Uh, I don't know, man. I'm not feeling it. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. It was the epoch of belief. It was the epoch of incredulity. It was the season of light. (laughs) It was the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope. (laughs) It was the winter of despair. Okay, okay. I got one. I got one. I got one here. Ready? Okay. All right. Seven mystics banded together to fight the invaders. They created the Dragon Balls. <laughs> Wait, that's not the story. That's not the story at all. That's not the story of Dragon Ball. I mean, that's because, that- because that's a quote from uh, Dragon Ball Evolution, which apparently just recently landed in theaters. Wow, that was... Landed in left. Oh. That, was, that was some professional-level segue there, by the way, Mark. Wait, is that, is that really oh. the plot of the movie now? Is that what they say happened? That there were a bunch of people who came together, the seven oh, wizards? That's, or that's what Sean Connery says. That Let me say it again. <laughs> banded together to fight the invaders. They created the Dragon Balls. <laughs> it sounds dirty. Everybody knows that the Dragon Balls were created by Kami, the guardian of the earth, after he split apart from his evil self in order to make maintain the purity to succeed to the throne of Guardian after he landed on Earth from a planet Namek. What is this bullshit about these seven mystics? That's just nonsense. That's nonsense. That is not what happened in real slash fictional Dragon Ball life. No, no, no. no. The reason why I bring this up, of course, is that, uh, Fenzel, you were really excited about this uh, movie, Yeah, I remember when I first saw it, it was going to come out on my birthday. You know, I was going to go see it on my birthday in August, and then it got pushed back. And then there were a lot of production stills that came out that didn't look so good. Um, (laughs) So I actually didn't end up seeing it. And I'm really looking forward to when it comes out in theaters so that I can finally see it. (laughs) Which it did. What? I mean, it got it got really <laughs> really bad reviews. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I, like, review. I haven't seen any reviews. Wait, can we can we do one thing? Is that yeah. I'm gonna say something, and then after I say something, could you say that's impossible? Okay, okay. You, ready? Okay. you ready? All right. It's like Pete, the movie's level of suck is at nine thousand. That's impossible. <laughs> nine thousand. How can that be? Yeah. Oh man, I'm gonna crush my headset in my hand and look all angry. I was so happy when that became a full-on internet meme. You could say like, "It's over nine thousand. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. For those Hold on, wait, wait, wait. Can you guys get those together. of us who, who weren't? Right in the know on this, on this yeah, particular you meme. Better, you better handle this one. Okay, so in the real Dragon Ball, not this <laughs> fake ass Hollywood Dragon Ball. Um, there's a there's a, an emperor of the universe named Frieza who has a bunch of henchmen, uh, and they ca- he's not really emperor formally, but I won't get into the politics. And they all carry around these um, these sort of like these sort of like glasses, these like visors. Um, called Mon- scouters. Monocles. Is monocles. Yeah, they're monocle. They're monocle scouters. They're like they're sort of like sunglasses, but they only have one side, and they have a little like radio transponder on them that seems to serve no purpose, and um, and it allows them to gauge the fighting power level of an individual so that they can determine what troops to send against it. Um, and the the whole Frieza arc, ha- which is a, a battle between the the good guys led by Son Goku, you know the 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 kung fu master and all that, and like all these aliens. On- planet dynamic um it focuses around how there's expectations that certain people in the universe get to have certain power levels and if you're not of that power level then you're entitled to be kicked around by whoever is stronger than you and goku by hard work pushing himself and training attains a high power level which infuriates all these people who have all this high status associated with it so when vegeta the prince of all saiyans sees goku powering up with his king kai fist uh, and his power level and the units by the way are arbitrary and hilarious uh, and they go up like exponentially over the course of the series till they're in like the millions uh, and they start at like a hundred 
Um, when he sees it go over 9,000, he goes, oh, that power level's over 9,000. It's impossible. And he crushes his scouter in his hand. And this became an internet meme uh, recently. But it's been, I've been seeing it more. It's been on the internet for a while. But um, does that all make sense? I mean, I can write cliff notes. I can. <laughs> at some at one point, I had a real. Now I love Dragon Ball. I, I've said it before. I'll say it again. Don't I say. love Dragon Ball. I think it's great. I will talk your ear off about all the things that I think are wonderful about it artistically. Um, and I did at one point want to write a sort of mondo, uh, you know, Pete's Guide to Dragon Ball, where I basically write like a several hundred page book detailing all the awesome things in Dragon Ball. But um, we will, we will one reason publish that on the site. If you write oh, that, yeah. it's going on overthinking it. We'll you know, that's we should have a publish. Dragon Ball week on overthinking it, but it should just be Pete. <laughs> <laughs> where, it's, where it's one 3,000 word article every day. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. I, you know, it's, as long as we do, as long as I lock myself in a room that where one uh, year passes in a day and the gravity is a hundred times normal, I think I should be able to handle it. Is that, is that what the guy does at one point? Yeah, it makes him better at push-ups and stuff, and also firing laser beams from his hands. <laughs> the only thing I really remember about the power levels is that, like, when Piccolo first comes to Earth and doesn't know anything about Earth, he is accosted by like a like a pudgy farmer with a shotgun, yeah. and like he puts up this guy as a power level of only ten. And like laughs it off as being ridiculously small. So a power level of nine thousand would be the equivalent of like you as powerful as nine hundred farmers with shotguns. Which is one point twenty one gigawatts. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So you're ratted. basically like like a one man whiskey rebellion. When it comes down to it. <laughs> now here's the thing. I didn't see the Dragon Ball movie. It's been out for more than two weeks, and I, who love Dragon Ball, and have actually multiple Dragon Ball volumes next to my bed right now. Now, granted, there's a lot of things next to my bed. My room is very messy. <laughs> but I have multiple Dragon Ball volumes on the floor. <laughs> exactly. It's the size of the state of Connecticut. Um, and I did not go see the Dragon Ball movie. So clearly, they did something wrong, because I didn't even know it was out yet. <laughs> and, like, so I really wanted to see the movie. This is, this is the second ex- example of this podcast of a movie where we are the target audience, <laughs> and we didn't see it, right? <laughs> exactly. And people didn't see uh, Dragon Ball. And neither of these movies succeeded financially in their opening weekends, so at least according to expectations, as we all know the value of expectations in these things. You know what, so. you know what I feel single-handedly destroyed the money-making potential of the Dragon Ball movie is the video where Hitler is complaining about the Dragon Ball movie. <laughs> Wait, what? Oh! Oh, I, you know what? I love... I, you're talking about the Valkyrie, Valkyrie video re-subtitled, right? No, it's, it's Downfall. It's a, oh, it's a it's, German movie called Downfall. Yeah, about, it's, about not, it's not Valkyrie. It's an actual, Did you seriously not see this one? It's a movie that was made in Germany. No, no, no. Oh, it's, it's fantastic. Right. Oh, and basically, it, there's a small subculture of people. There's this one particular scene where like, Hitler is basically just screaming you know, for five minutes straight. Yeah. And then you know, gets quiet again and then starts screaming again. And it's so very subtitleable. That, like, yeah. you can make it. I've seen at least three different versions where Hitler is complaining about like the performance of like the New York Jets. Uh, you know, Hitler is complaining about uh, you know like uh, McCain. I think was one of them. Yeah. And I definitely saw one where he has just learned that uh, that they're doing a Dragon Ball movie, and uh, Buma will not have uh, blue hair in the movie. <laughs> His to this now, actually, Matt, I know the exact clip that you're talking about, and but not the Dragon Ball clip. I know the clip, and I actually have one of my favorite videos on YouTube is one of these, and it's one where Hitler is yelling because of the um, the Ottawa public transit system going on strike. <laughs> uh, I'm going to send this. Can you post this to the to the to the podcast site when it goes up? Because Absolutely. this video is just freaking awesome. It'll be it's in the all- show notes. Yeah, it's it's all about like Hitler's advisors are going on a big trip with Hitler to Ottawa, and like he wants to stay like in the downtown and he wants to like uh, move around. And they're like, oh, we can charter a bus, we can get taxi cabs. He's like, oh no no no, I'll take them. I'll just take the public buses. Thrifty is nifty. And they inform him that there's a bus strike, and then he just like goes <laughs> off on this huge tirade, and he, and he uses very specific references to specific places in Ottawa, and just like goes ranting about them and how they're too far away and he can't go to them and it's awful. Uh, but yeah, watch the video. I think it's really awesome. Do you think that Mash are uh, are, are mashups like a legitimate form of art, or are they, I don't know, a less legitimate form of art? Matt, you're kind of a mashup artist. Yeah, but I mean, I, I, I wouldn't go as far as to describe anything I do as, as art. I don't know. I mean, I guess, here's the thing. Like, you know, if you want to, you can describe, like, anything 
as art, you know? But then, like, you know, I'm, I'm maybe one of these people who feels that, like, art should be reserved for... Um, I, I guess I'm, like, an elitist about art and, and, you know, feel that, like, oh, I'm not an artist. I'm not trying to say something about the human condition. I'm just trying to make people laugh. And therefore, it's not really art, you know? Mm. And that, that, like, I would probably say that, like, you know, a lot of pop music isn't really, like, art in the mm. full sense of, like, you know, my understanding of art with a capital A. But that, that's probably, like, I'm, I'm sort of embarrassed to say that. Maybe I should, like, you know, accept the fact that, like, you know, anything that has creative expression can be art. Um, but, I mean, yeah, like, I'd, I'd say that, like, a lot of, you know, I, I'm sure that I could probably, like, go back and find, like, a classical work of, like, painting, which basically, like, you know, gets a lot of its, its, um, its artistic charge out of the juxtaposition of, of two different things. Yeah. Well, there's a difference between that, though, and lifting verbatim pieces of different pieces, different creative works and mashing them together into your own. Right. In other words, like there's a difference from being inspired by, you know, various different movies and creating your own original. I don't work. know. I don't know, though. Virgil, you know, wrote the first mashup. He wrote a mashup of the Iliad and the Odyssey and called it the Aeneid. Right. Where the first <laughs> yeah, that's actually that's actually a very good point where the uh, first six books are the Odyssey and the last six books are the Iliad. I don't know. The Bible is older than us. <laughs> <laughs> the Bible no, is no. a mashup of everything. I mean, I don't know. I think that there's some wisdom in what you're saying, Matt. I mean, I disagree with it on a basic level. Like, I don't think that the relative quality or like I think you're full word. of shit, but very wise. No, no. But here's the thing. I think it's better to unelevate too much than to elevate too much because I think when people go out there and they they find things that they don't think are people worked hard on or whatever and they start arguing on the margins as to what gets to be art and what doesn't get to be art you get into the argument about legitimization which is a, I think kind of a colossal waste of time why can't you I mean if you're making something that makes people laugh then it it makes people laugh and the fact that you think of it that way shows that you actually do it as opposed to sit back and talk about other people doing it strictly I mean you know you do talk about other people doing it so do I so do we all right but you also do it so you know that there's nothing really super special about it right it, you know it's work and you put in the work and you make it happen now i would much prefer to talk about whether these things are good or bad or worthwhile or not worthwhile but like what are if they're not art what are they like computer science you know what are they just like dicking well, around you're probably right I mean, uh, here's another example i think in my heart of hearts um, I feel like a lot of like top forty pop music does not deserve to be considered art. Like, let's say like "Whoops, I Did It Again" or the Thong Song. You know that like you don't those... think the Thong Song is art? No, because I I feel Man. like it, it was very much written, you know, just to just to to serve a certain function in the marketplace. That like I mean, I feel like a lot of like my definition of art, my my sort of uh, protean definition of art that I haven't really like defined fully yet is probably tied up a lot in in the um. The purpose, like why something is created. But Matt, Shakespeare was written just to fill a certain demand. I know, and like uh, probably a lot of the reason that Don Quixote is so freaking long is he's getting paid by the chapter. Um, yeah. <laughs> <you know. laughs> but I know what you're talking about, and we obviously we don't have to get bogged down in it, but uh, I know what you're talking about, and I hear you, and I respect your opinion, even though I don't think it has much merit. Well, I no, mean, I, 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 I agree, and I, I think that, like, you know, no, I, I think that, like, if I were pushed or, like, you know, somebody really asked me to define art on paper, eventually yeah. I'd have to be like, you know, it's any sort of creative endeavor, you know? But, like, I, I, at the same time, it seems a shame not to be able to distinguish between people who are really trying to, like, make you think, with, yeah. you know, like, like, create a creative work that, like, elicits a certain response in people. And then, and then somebody else who is, like, let's say, I mean, is a commercial art? You know, like a commercial for, like, let's say, yeah. uh, like a fabric softener. I mean, because under your definition, it has to be. Well, I mean, yeah, I think if, I mean, the, uh, all right, so if you're like, talking but then, about. Like, like at the same point, like, like, don't you sort of devalue the word art so it's basically meaningless? If, like, uh, everything, including, like, an, like an ad is art. If everyone, art is yeah, but Matt, that's, I mean, isn't that a slippery, uh, I don't know, that's kind of a straw man argument, right? Because no one is actually saying that everything is art. That's kind of like say, that's, you know, that's kind of like saying we're redefining the word marriage or something. <laughs> I think Pete is saying that anything that requires aesthetic or creative considerations is art. I mean, I would cast an even wider net than that. Um, but I mean, I think that when you want to talk about it, um, when you're setting up 
you know, big bubbles around the culture and defining this as art and this not as art. Uh, I think that you're setting up a dialectic that you don't necessarily need to go into because setting up this art versus not art, there isn't really a word for not art, right? There, there's no way of defining what isn't art. So why are you drawing a bubble around what is art if there's no way of describing what's on the outside? Um, it's sort of like when people define the universe. Like, we understand there might be something on the outside of the universe, but... Um, I mean, we don't, we, we don't really care what it is. So the idea of where the boundaries are gets a little bit fuzzy. Let me put it in a slightly different way. I think what we're describing here is a spectrum of things that are more artistic on one end, say like um, Marvin Gaye's What's Going On. And on the other end, and somewhere lower in the spectrum is going to be something like um, the Thong Song. Okay. On the, that, very, on the very back I'm end seething. of that spectrum. I am seething right now. And on the very very end of the spectrum is when I hit the keyboard and I play like the, um, the, the prepackaged drummer that I'm there and just let that play for five minutes. <laughs> the, well, um, actually, that, that definitely would be art because it, 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 you'd be trying to make a, a point about art. It would, it would be like, you know, four minutes and 35 seconds of silence. You, you know, know what I think? I don't think you heard me. <laughs> I mean, isn't that? But isn't this a, a kind of tough thing for us to say on our own website that we should delegitimize things that we don't see as being worthwhile? No, I, I mean, don't, I, I don't think legitimize it. Really it everything on the spectrum, I said, I think has value. Mm. I mean, it, yeah. also, is it is it not acceptable just to call something bad art? Is that not enough? Is it not enough for us just to be able to insult the things that we think aren't right? Does does putting the mantle of art on something pay? I don't so know. High I don't know. Though, like, like like Oops, I did it again is bad art in a different way than Pericles, Prince of Tyre, is bad art. Well, and then we can right, have a good conversation the, about the thing that. Is, whoops, I did it again is is. So goddamn pedantic. <laughs> I'm just <laughs> what I'm saying that like like oops I did it again is one hundred percent successful in everything it sets out to do. That like like it's I suppose it's bad art, but like it's not really supposed to be art. It's not really supposed to be measured on that scale. What it is is like one of the best pop songs ever written. You know. Well, okay, let me let me make an appeal. As long as we're going to be dabbling in logical fallacies, let me go for an appeal to authority <laughs> and talk about. Do you remember Matt? And you were actually the one who ta- told me this, Matt Blinky, um, yeah. that when Trey Anastasi, when when Fish was breaking up for the time when people thought Fish was actually breaking up, and it was doing its last right. show in Brooklyn, which I think your brother went to go see, or maybe no, you. I went to see that. I you went to see, see that with okay. Rather. Yeah, I was yeah, there. Right. I was there too. Trey Anastasi gave a, and forgive me if I mispronounce his name, uh, gave an interview with either the New Yorker or the New York Times where they asked him, while you were in Fish, uh, what was one thing that you wish you, you could have done? What, what, did, what did you not do? What, what work is left unfinished? And he said, you know, for all the work that I did, I never wrote a number one hit. Like, and then he said, try it. You go home and you try to write Mambo number five. It's impossible. Yeah. <laughs> and like so in the sense that you, we can it's very easy to underrate the amount of effort and thought that goes into something like oops i did it again which was not written by britney spears it was written by somebody who's very experienced in what they're doing no, and that's a lot of practice swedish the guy yeah. wrote all the songs yeah, all those, yeah, the, yeah. Uh, and all those songs i think are like they're catchy they have good hooks the yeah. lyrics are clever in a way a little obvious a little plotting yeah. but still clever you know that that little that little uh conceit of like oh i broke your heart oops like that, you know, there are probably some like Renaissance English poems that that <laughs> use that same conceit. Well, and I think that um, a, a more useful um, sort of differential that I like to talk about is the differential between art and craft, right? Which is a it's a blurry division. It's something that gives you a lot of room to play with, but craft being the technique and the practice that allows you to repetitively pump out the thing that you pump out as an artist and art you know being a broader term for your that includes some connotation of higher aspiration right or art so, being yeah art being the thing that happens by accident if you're really lucky and your work yeah. like illuminates some facet of the human condition right 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 um yeah. so uh, you know if or you want to talk about 
Yeah, exactly. But I mean, like all of the Britney Spears songs that have the exact same structure when you like sing them over each other and they have breaks at all the same points and they go beat for beat exactly the same. Like that's craft, right? Like they figure out that works. And if you're going to sit down and you're going to write a screenplay that you want to have sell, you want to write like a Steven Seagal movie, like that's a tall order. You know, you're going to use a lot of craft. You're going to watch other movies that he made and you're going to write notes and you're going to copy a lot of what they did and you're going to try to improve it and avoid cliche and all this stuff. But like, it's not like you're soaring with the angels, you know, on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel and whatnot. You know, there's there's work to be done. But that's the other thing is that when we elevate art, any art, we separate it from the fact that actual people actually sat down and did it. Actual people who got up and went to the shitter every once in a while and had to eat lunch and had to, like, do all the other things that people do. So – it's, I mean, art, we like to think that it helps us transcend in certain ways, but I, I think that building the wall, you know, you know, Pink Floyd and all that, why do we build the wall? Why do we build the wall between art and everything else? Uh, and I think that people do it to protect their jobs and out of fear and to legitimize themselves. Um, and I don't think that – I mean, being somebody who performs small-time improv for no money in New England. <laughs> I, I say this out of a certain amount of desire for self-legitimization uh, myself, but that um, you know, art happens everywhere, and it's not just happening for the people who get to call themselves artists every day when they hand out their business cards. Right, yeah, or, or like fill out their, fill out their 10, 1040s. Yeah, yeah. But, but I mean, it still seems like there should be there should be some way that we can draw a line between the summer movies that we're going to go see, you know, like the Transformer 2s of the world, and then, uh, you know, fill in the blank with your own favorite film of last year, you know, something which, or, or even, even to distinguish between Transformer 2 and The Dark Knight. What's your like, fa- yeah, what's your favorite film of last year, not The Dark Knight? I don't know. I, I, it, it, I don't like playing that game because it's like, you know, if I had to pick just one, then like it wouldn't be fun going to see movies at all. You know, like I mean, I got gotta- in that. Yeah, I got in that argument with Shane about this, where I talked about Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban being a piece of art, right, or or something like and, that. And where- she denied it was a piece of art. Uh, yeah, I think she'd brought up that no Harry Potter movie was as good as any movie that would ever be nominated for an Oscar. Um, and I was like that Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban is a more significant piece of art than Atonement is. Um, I have kind of a bone to pick with Atonement. Uh, I, I tend to use it as an example of mediocre Oscar-nominated films. Did you read the novel, Pete? No, I didn't read the novel. Is uh, the novel really good? I, I don't know. It depends whether you like Ian McEwan or not. I mean, he's mm. accused sometimes of being, what, a little middle-brow? Fair enough, fair enough. But I mean, like, certainly um, Michael Bay would be the first to, like, gleefully proclaim that, I mean, would he say that he's not an artist, that he's just, like, an entertainer? And he said similar things along the lines of, like, I'm not out to make, like, you know, great films. I'm out to make, like, you know, popular movies. I'm out to make, like, big blockbusters. Right, right, right. And I think that that's, that's important, but I think that we, that's a more, there's more fine-tuning that we can do in the conversation. We can have more detail rather than just drawing a big circle around movies and leaving Michael Bay and Uwe Boll outside to fight each other, which I would right, love to watch. <laughs> and which Uwe Boll has challenged him to do, but which he is too much of a chicken to take up the Well, yeah, the well, Uwe is as, uh, training <laughs> as, as a pugilist. Yeah. <laughs> oh, he's, he's amazing. He, he's actually, you know, done a bunch of fighting as like an amateur boxer. So don't... Have I brought up this up before where Uwe Boll challenged Michael Bay to a boxing match? Wh- how, um... In real life? What was the context in which this, this challenge was laid out? Uh, he just, on his website, he's like, he talks about, he made a YouTube video where he called out um, fighting Michael Bay uh, as something that would be good for, for the movies. Let's see. Oh, I found one, but it's dubbed in German. I'll, f- I'll figure out a link and I'll send it to you. Maybe you guys <laughs> it's actually, <laughs> yeah, it's actually a, a mashup where Hitler uh, yeah. hears about... <laughs> There's this great video of Juve Bull where they dub him over with Hitler. <laughs> <laughs> and it's actually, it's, Juve, it's video of Juve Bull, but it's actually, you know, uh, it's a vi- video of, you know, I don't know, the, one of Hitler's Nazi rallies where he's talking about like the Russian bear and you know yeah. <laughs> <laughs> did Judah and, and yeah 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 it's really well, I mean, offensive I think that the term that uh, I just I finished reading fairly recently Blake Snyder's Save the Cat which is a very very Hollywood you know Hollywood machine screenwriting kind of book and the um 
the term, oh no, it wasn't that book I was reading. I'm sorry. I was reading a book called Teach Yourself Film Studies, which was a different book I was reading, which was kind of a intro okay. film studies kind of book. Um, and he, they said that one of the, the term that you might want to use to refer to these things is significant form. You know, does the movie have significant form? Um, is it something where you can talk about the way that it's structured? Uh, is it meaningful the way that the actual film is put together as a film? Um, and I think that many movies do fall into that category because there's so many people that want to make movies today and can't um, that the people who do make movies have to at least pretend that they know how to do it well. Um, you know, that even if you, know, if you watch like the best movies from the 60s and you compare them, the production values to like a shitty, you know, Oh, sci-fi original movie like Python versus Cobra or like Dragon Island of Paradise, whatever we were talking about last week or two weeks ago. Um, the, the movie looks better now than it did then. The techniques are better. The filmmaking, they've come a long way. It's a lot sharper. It's sort of like comparing new chess masters and old chess masters. Like a guy now who couldn't push through the mid-level of a tournament might be able to go back and win a whole bunch of big events if you were in the 1900s. Like there's a lot of, of learning and thinking that goes into these things that we write off because our standards rise. So... I don't know. I'm ranting too much and making not enough jokes. Should I make up another? No, song? no, no. I mean, I think I think you're right. I mean, I think the the basic takeaway here is that one of the phrases I'm not supposed to use. Takeaway the. What's the take- <laughs> I don't okay. know. Apparently, there's like a list of things that like I will be judged for saying. Um, <laughs> it's just yeah, a but you, had a, you have an Ivy League education. Are you not familiar with that phenomenon already? I I guess, but. You know, I, 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 we, we've been out of that milieu for a while, so... I guess yeah. maybe it's just because I still live here. Mm. I'm so going to become much more easygoing when I move to Los Angeles. <laughs> for sure, all, yeah. dude. I'm going to get all chill. You're going go to learn to surf? Wait, you know how to surf? <laughs> I do not. Well, I mean, I know in theory how to surf. Well, I mean, like, I know in theory how to, like, like defuse a nuclear bomb. <laughs> <laughs> Right, but you exactly. That YouTube album—is that what it was? And I, uh, I know <laughs> yes. how to surf in in about the same way that you know how to defuse a nuclear bomb. Like Which so, let's listen hope to that neither of us have to do these things. <laughs> no, yeah, and let's certainly hope that like there is no, uh, you know, climactic contest to some you know effort that I'm making where getting the girl requires that I either surf or defuse a nuclear bomb. Or Hope. at both at the same time. That would be insanity. That's crazy talk. Well, hey guys, it, yeah. Oh, are you, were you going to move on to something else? <laughs> well, I was gonna, I was gonna wrap up. But you, oh. if you have good material, uh, you go ahead. Go another round. Well. I'll, let's say this. This is something we were going to talk about tonight, but I'll, I'll leave this as a parting thought. We were going to talk about Susan Boyle and her performance on. Oh, on this is this is actually perfect. This is right on yeah. point now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because there's somebody who you don't think could be an artist and goes out there, excuse me, I have to cough in a second. I'm going to mute. Someone pick it up. Someone pick it up. Well, there's someone who you, you know, who you don't think is going to be an artist by the standards of what? Her appearance? How, uh... Yeah, wait, how, I, I might have to continue to be elitist and argue with Pete there. I'm not convinced that Susan Boyle is an artist just because she's saying, I dreamed a dream in a pleasing manner. Well, yeah, but it, the, her artistry consists uh, or subsists in the interpretation of the song, something that we, I think, generally acknowledge is an art. So musicians guess, who play other people's music well aren't artists? A piano player? A uh, piano player uh, who plays Bach, who only plays Bach and Beethoven, is not an artist? I really don't. I want somebody to help me. Uh, <laughs> to help me. I don't want her to be an artist, and I want somebody to help me figure out a way so she can to keep you're her trying, out of that club. So no, Pete, Pete, you're trying, quick, switch sides. Fiber of her dream, which, she's kept, which she sang so forcefully about, about how she dreamed that dream. I, just, I, mean, I, don't think, I don't think American Idol is or Britain's Got Talent is designed to like seek out artists. It's designed to present people who can just present a song in a. Eh. <laughs> it's That's not art. Eh. If you I want help, I, Matt, she wasn't famous before now, so there was a lot of people doing exactly what you're thinking that you want to be doing. So don't worry no, about I'm it. Not, I'm, <laughs> I know I, I don't have like a logical leg to stand on, but like I don't like the idea that like just because you can like belt out I dream to dream, you're an artist. 
You know, is anyone with me, or do we do we all are we all totally comfortable well, with? Well, like, me, she's I'm a not, great I'm artist. Not, I'm not going to She actually this. she did a very good serviceable job with that song, and like, she absolutely did. But I I don't I don't feel like so that it's not like she was just quacking. I mean, it's not like she was just I you know I think that that her singing had no, a but, lot but more. I also think, but but look at it this way: Did she sing it any differently than like the woman on the soundtrack sang? Sing it the same way that like everyone sings. I dreamed a dream, you know. <laughs> you can't sing it like that. <laughs> no, but you sing it like that right now. Wait, 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 Pete, like Pete hold now. on, hold on. Okay. I'm gonna push back here. <laughs> it is what it is. Uh, the the standard for art is not things I can't do because then surfing would be an art or like fixing my own surfing car. Is an art. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. But then like fixing a car would be an art. You know, <laughs> let, let me let me throw some medicinal fuel in the fire. All right, on here. I'm I got my iTunes open on my computer here, mm-hmm. and on top of the browser, I see genre, and then what do I see? I see artist. Now let me let me take let me give you another example of this. You know how um, when a singer comes out to sing the national anthem, they'll say Sony recording artist, right? Blah blah, right? But so is that, is that an appropriate use of the word pretension? Well, yeah, I mean, that's a marketing... I they're like, the jo- sort of recording artists, the Jonas Brothers. I think Reco- it's just a word with a really broad definition that we don't need to oh, narrow down. Yeah, you're probably right. Recording, that's, yeah, but, what we do. That, one, that one specifically, recording artist, has to do more with marketing than with anything else, right? Because, yeah. like, well, they needed but- something... They needed something uh, to call them that wasn't musician in case they weren't and wasn't like songwriter in case they weren't. I guess there's part of that, but you know, going back to my spectrum thing, right? Marvin Gaye is an artist. So is Cisco. They're artists. They're yeah. They're who's creative. a better artist is the more more interesting question than who is an artist and who isn't. Between Marvin Gaye and Cisco. That's a tough one. I, I gotta don't know. Say. Yeah. <laughs> that baby, is tough. Yeah, baby, let your booty go. You know. <laughs> Here's what the kind deal. of silver here's, here's jackets does Marvin Gaye have? <laughs> that, that you guys aren't willing to give art and artists a definition that requires a subjective judgment call. That, like, you want it to be something that, like, has a logical definition that, like, either, you know, everyone is all out or all in. And I'm pretty comfortable being, like, you know, I know art when I see it. And I'm willing to call some things art and other things art. Yeah, but and, that's and other that's not art, you know. But isn't that isn't that like aren't you saying that like these things are good and those things aren't? And that- No, because I'm saying like I, I I don't dislike pop songs, but I don't want them called art because I just don't think that they're art. I think that they're good pop songs. I think that they're good entertainment. But I feel like just just because you know, I love crank, but crank is an art. Ah, ah, you know what it is? It's the Puritan ethic. You're a good Puritan. You don't like things. Yeah, you think things shouldn't be art if they give you pleasure. If you enjoy them. (laughs) 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 All right, you might have something. I'm going to tell you this right now. Even if Crank isn't art, (laughs) Crank 2 is going to be art. So we all better go see it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Crank 2 is the Finnegan's Wake to Crank 1's Ulysses. (laughs) That's a really good Rotten Tomatoes score, by the way. Oh yeah, it was like it was like at seventy last time I checked, which is like you know fairly bizarre if you think about it. Is that a measure? Is that a measure of whether it's art or not? It's Rotten Tomatoes score. It's just a measure of whether it's liked or not. Let me um. Double checking that. So we can bring this full circle. Rather, you never answered why you didn't see Crank Two this past weekend. Oh, uh, my girlfriend was in town. And what? And she doesn't like good movies. Crank Two. I just like to point out, currently has a seventy percent on Rotten Tomatoes, which means that seventy percent of movie critics say that it is in fact a good movie. Uh, that that's you know, for instance, like State of Play has like eighty percent, so it is better than you know. But it makes it a lot better than, let's say, Fast and Furious, which only has a twenty-six percent. Yeah, mm. uh, and yet, and yet, Fast and the Furious made all a uh, Fast and Furious made so much more money. Mm. It is a but, mystery. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, the you know box office numbers are like you know somewhat of a black art. Well, I'll say this: <laughs> if you think you know what art is and want us uh, to know, want to tell us, you can email us. At podcast at overthinkingit.com or call the voicemail at 20eatlog01. That's 203-285-6401. Wouldn't that be a good idea? 
I think that's a great idea. I, think I would do, do that. I'm going to do that right now. <laughs> I, I think you should call and, and, and tell us if you think that this podcast is art or not. Is well according to <laughs> iTunes it is because there is a heading for artist. <laughs> you know, in the in the like ID three metadata that rides along with MP three files and so uh you know, we are the artist. Overthinking it is the artist uh of this podcast. And if you happen to like it, hey, tell a friend about it, you know, help us help us get the word out about this podcast. We love all our listeners, but our numbers have been pretty flat for the last uh, a couple months, you know, which means we're not we're not growing the audience. And maybe it's our selective appeal only to pretentious elitists like ourselves. <laughs> you know? But we're very democratic elitists. We want other people to join the elite. Uh and the ticket to the elite is an iTunes subscription to our podcast. Mm. I don't know if that's really the angle you want to go with on this one, man. Maybe you should just promise them something fancy. Like, <laughs> remember that time I told them that they were going to get Slade Milano's? Yeah. Your crush will fall in love with you <laughs> if you forward this podcast on to the 10 key, people. Offer people something that costs you nothing that they want, and then you make a profit. And that's how it works. <laughs> so you're, you're basically saying sexual favors. <laughs> I don't know the cost the cost to me is is great in the you know in my energy and time I guess hey parking meters ain't free all right I don't even know what that means. <laughs> I gotta get there first. I gotta pay for a bus ticket. So. Uh, it's pretty dirty. In, yeah. in any case, while while you're waiting for the bus, you know what you should do? You should visit us on the web at www.overthinkingit.com, the site where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it, it probably, probably doesn't, doesn't deserve. <laughs> hey, who was worried that we wouldn't have enough material just because we had? <laughs> I, was, no. I was worried, but I'm, I, I've been wrong about everything at this podcast. <laughs> no, just because we had no outline going into the recording. I want to say I want to see Dragon Ball. I do. Just because, like, do. it seems like it seems like low hanging fruit.